picking up from where we left off, as we said, we're chapter 14, transcending the gunas, and we're on verse 17. Thus far, we've been tuning into, and Krishna has been kind of uh, expanding the awareness of the gunas, just stanza by stanza. This is what Sattva brings, this is what Rajas brings, this is what Tamas brings, and he's continuing in that vein, where he says, Wisdom arises from Sattva, lust and avarice from Rajas, and the darkness of spiritual ignorance from Tamas. We said last time, again and again with Tamas, no matter what else is happening, ignorance, ignorance, darkness. And that's really the defining quality. Sattva and Rajas still have a little movement, they go here and there, but Tamas is just right there. Darkness and ignorance over and over again. And this, when I was reading this, this came to me in terms of like, kind of decision making to a certain degree. Wisdom, because that's what we require. All our decisions, whether they are guided by wisdom, whether our decisions are guided by lust and avarice, which essentially means greed, desire, or whether our decisions are guided by complete lack of awareness, complete ignorance. And I was thinking about something as simple as, say, cooking a meal. Um, if you are being guided by wisdom when you cook a meal, what does that wisdom say to you? He would just place his attention here, taste it here, put it, you know, what needs to be added, what doesn't need to be, because he was tuning into each meal as an intuitive need for the individual or whoever you are cooking for. Not, Acha, Krishna ne ne bola hai, ye bola hai, ye bola hai, chalo, okay, ye. You know, it's not a recipe, it's not a formula. And that's where we get really confused. We think wisdom is formula, theorems, philosophies, understandings. But wisdom is primarily intuitive. So, when you're in sattva, intuition guides your life what is needed, when it's needed, what's not needed, not rules alone, not just what you've heard, read, but specific to you, what's going to express your absolute highest state. So here we are, we're cooking, and one thing is if I'm in sattva, I'm cooking out of intuition, what's needed and when it's needed, how much is needed, how much to cook it, what ingredient to put, and so on and so forth. Or, if Rajas is active in that moment, what am I thinking? Oh, you know. we will burn ourselves. <laughs> or we will break something. Get excited and break and, you know, a lot of noise is being made in the kitchen. And, but, you know, it's like that lust, that avarice, that greed is driving that decision. Oh, what do I want to do? You know, that's how and that takes not into account what you need, it takes only into account what you want, desperately, in that moment. And yeah, some of those things might be good for you, some of those things might not be good for you. Well, that's how it, the Rajas quality works. Now, does Tamas come in? Tamas, like when each time I read this word ignorance, it's like, for me, Tamas is like someone blindfolds you, put you in the kitchen and say, banao kuch. You don't know what's what. What you are touching, you don't know. You take a knife, you're probably chopping your hand off, thinking that you're going to be chopping a vegetable. But that's what tamas is. It degrades you further. 
It puts you in situations where you make the worst decisions because you're just unaware of what's going on. You're just not able to see reality at all. And so here you are trying to cook a meal, but what you think is a potato is something else, and what you think is a you know is salt, it turns out to be mirchi, and what you think is sugar turns out to be whatever. <laughs> and there you are, and by the time, and what do you consume at the end of that meal? You know, something nauseous, poisonous. <laughs> and that's what's important for us to tune into, especially in our decision making. Am I being guided by wisdom? Am I being guided by my likes and dislikes? Or am I being guided by absolute ignorance? And absolute ignorance is, I know what I'm doing. That's what absolute ignorance is. Never open to what, <laughs> not like, let me take out my blindfold for a moment. No, I know everything. I know all these places and, you know, I've been cooking this meal uh, for a hundred lifetimes, so I can do whatever I want. And so that's a very important aspect. In fact, as I was reading this, I, I wanted, I just like, I want to go back and make a list almost. In fact, it would be nice if somebody, you know, types it out. It's just like everything, sattva, these are the qualities. You know, Rajas, these are the qualities and to have them, in fact, make a list and have right in front of you everything that Krishna says. It will be just helpful to hit those points again and again. This is what he says, Sattva bestows health and understanding. This is where he starts. This is verse 6. So in Sattva, you've got health, you've got understanding. Next, Rajas. Under Rajas, you get strong desires, passion, attachments and bound by expectations and restlessness. So that's what you get in Rajas. So it just helps you know, okay, you know, I'm in Rajas. When I'm constantly bound by ki kya milne wala, I'm in Rajas. Because it's very, very important to know where you are so that you know where you should be or where you could be, if nothing else. Let's continue. Thomas brings ignorance again, which the way Krishna explains, deludes the mind, makes them lazy, so laziness, heedless, they won't listen to another, any, any other person's potentially wisdom-guided wisdom advice, and excessively attracted to subconscious sleep. Again, we talked about not just the physical aspect of sleep, but this subconscious thing where you just want to bring your, dull your mind to as closer state of numbness as sleep represents for the most of us. So these are one first layer that Krishna shares on these three gunas. Then he continues on and he says, Sattva attaches one to happiness. All right, so that's Sattva's binding quality. Rajas to activity. And Tamas submerges one in difficulties. I, I just read this and I can see a chart before me and I can be, I can keep placing myself and wonder, okay, where am I, where am I, where am I slipping, where am I ascending? And then he continues, of course, when sattva is predominant, discrimination shines through all a person's sense gates. And we talked about, he sees things that are uplifting, he receives only things that are uplifting, he says only things that are uplifting. So when that's what's happening with you, when you see a person who has a lot of tamas in them, but you try to receive only what is potentially sattva in them, then you know you have sattva in you. 
how you reflect the world and what you receive from the world, what you put out into the world will determine what your guna is. When rajas is there, greed, restless activity and selfish motivation. Again, placing that in that list. When tamas is there, dark, lazy, again and again, he'll bring those same words out. Neglectful of duty. Even the simple things that you need to do, you just don't want to do. You know, just that little voice in the back of our head that says, just if only I can lower my energy a little bit more. And then he continues and finally says, the fruits, remember last, this is where we ended, the fruits of sattvic activity, which is another beautiful way to say. If you're expressing sattvic activity, the fruits of that will be harmony and purity of heart. You really feel at peace at the end of whatever that activity was. If you are in a rajasic activity, the fruit would be, interestingly we saw, pain and suffering. Why? Because anything done with expectation, sooner or later will bring about disappointment. Even if in that moment your expectation is fulfilled, but is it ever fulfilled the way we want it to? You know, in the moment of how yummy this is going to taste and then we enjoy the meal and then we are bloated in our stomach and then we have to run to the bathroom and then the next day you are so lazy, pain and suffering no matter who, no matter what. But if there's the, if Rajas is your driving factor, pain and suffering will be his or her handmaidens. And finally, the fruits of tamasic action, what do you think it is? Spiritual ignorance, again and again, just that ignorance. And he calls it here, Swamiji elaborates by saying, dullness of mind, slothfulness, stupidity, and general helplessness when confronted with difficulties. And finally, this is what we read now. Wisdom arises from sattva, lust and avarice from rajas, and ignorance from tamas. And again and again, you know, half this list, it's a very, very helpful grid for us to have in just kind of not to judge ourselves particularly but to have a sense of okay wait a minute sometimes our habitual patterns of how we act in this world are just so subconsciously ingrained we don't see ourselves the way you know others see us to a certain degree we don't see ourselves or better still we don't see ourselves the way we truly are we perceive ourselves actually quite differently than what we're expressing. And we have enough justifications for why we're expressing what we're expressing. Usnesakiya, so I'm doing this. Because of this circumstance, therefore I feel that way. Of course, in this particular way, I should be getting angry, so on and so forth. But if I have something that is a reminder constantly and it just tells me, this is where you are right now, and this is where you could be, and this is where you're potentially slipping to if you don't mind yourself now. And that's a very, very helpful way. And Krishna, of course, he's nothing if not practical. He's just always, he always wants you to know. This is what is, these are what are the potential traits and expressions. The consequences. These are the consequences, even more importantly. You choose. Nowhere does he say, Arjuna, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you doing this and why aren't you being that way? He's just like, Arjuna, these are your options. You choose. Just like from the very beginning, you want my army or you want me? You choose. He's always given choice. He's never imposed himself. 
The divine will never impose just to get you to sattva or just to get you beyond the gunas. It'll always give you the choice. So if you're well informed, which is what Krishna's intention is for us, hopefully there's a better chance we'll make better decisions. Those established in sattva rise upward. Those immersed in rajas remain in the middle regions. And those steeped in tamas sink to the lower spinal centers. So that's another way to tune into these three gunas. These six centers right here, of course, Sahasrara is triguna rahitam, beyond the gunas. So you've got the lower two centers, they represent tamas, which is material desire, the material reality of the muladhar, and of course the pleasure center of the swadhisthan. So it is just keep you know, I just need my bodily uh, pleasures and needs and necessities to be fulfilled. I'm really looking for absolutely nothing else. That's the tamasic kind of quality of life. Then you've got the fire center and you've got the heart. Now the fire center is energy and the heart of course is our emotions, our likes and dislikes. So when energy is willing to be put, but guided by likes and dislikes, I'll do this, I won't do this, if I only gain this here, and of course all our attachments, and that becomes our Rajasic center. And then you've got your Sattvic center, which is of course calmness of the Vishuddha, very, very deep calmness. And then intuitive bliss of the spiritual eye. And so you can see, okay, when I'm in Sattva, this is where my energy is going to be. This is how I'm going to relate to the world. This is how I'll express myself. When I'm in Rajas, this is how I'm going to express myself. When I'm in Tamas, this is where my energy is going to be. And especially as a yogi, who's very aware that the intention of all my practices, the way that I want to live, is that my life force forever be held, especially at the point between the eyebrows, at the Agya Chakra, at the Kutastha. For them, this becomes a very grave consequence. Oh, wait a minute. You know, <laughs> the words that I use will also bring my energy down there. The thoughts that I have will also do that. And then it just goes beyond our spiritual practices, thinking that we can meditate for an hour and, you know, for the, that little moment, we'll hold our energy. And then for the rest of the day, apparently, we should be free from all these issues. No, then the rest of the day, boom, 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 boom. We're still continuing the same process of meditation, but here we're continuing it all over the place. The seer who perceives no other active agent in the universe but the three gunas and perceives that unmoving consciousness which is higher than the gunas enters my being. Now, why are the gunas so important? This is where Krishna is wants to help us understand where the gunas fit in his scheme of things. Now, there are two very important aspects of the gunas. The first is it's a directional indicator of where we are to where we need to go. And we've talked about this several times. From Tamas, we can move to Rajas. From Rajas, we can move to Sattva. We can't very easily or seldom can we jump over one guna or the other. But the second thing for Krishna is the seer who perceives no other active agent in the universe but the three gunas. And Swami explains this here by saying, that is, who sees human action as motivated by the gunas rather than by individual choice. 
do you see where, where Krishna is getting here? What is our problem with the world? Is our we take everything and everyone and all actions and all our own self so personally. And what does it mean to take things personally? It means to be completely identified with it. We talked about the definition that Yogananda gave of the ego, saying the ego is the soul identified with the body. Now, how do I break this identification? I mean, I can't just like separate. I mean, here I am, I'm in this body. I mean, the masters were in the body. Krishna was in his body. Why is he not identified with the body? His hands are moving too. His mouth was opening and closing too. What was allowing him to be able to see the body only as a vehicle? And the answer is the gunas. Because if you realize that everything in this universe is a play only of the gunas, you will be able to impersonalize everything. And that's a very key moment. Now, the only problem with impersonality here is that you have to be mindful of what impersonality means. That it's not does not mean indifference. It does not mean aloofness. Impersonality is a recognition of things as they are and therefore you realize it has nothing to do with me and it has to do with these gunas and what does Swami because he clarifies it here beautifully he who sees human action as motivated by the gunas rather than by individual choice now what does that mean now Narayani says something to me and I take it personally and I say, oh, you know, why did she say this to me and what was that, those words she used and so on and so forth. And now suddenly I think it was her choice and she really wanted to hurt me and she really wanted to do this. But if I just say, ah, oh, you know, that particular guna is expressing itself right now in my life towards me. It's a very different reality for me. It has nothing to do with Narayani and it has nothing to do with Shujo. It has to do with the guna that's present. And when I know that a certain guna is present here, what should be my immediate action? How can I raise this? How can I move to the next stage of the guna? If a tamasic guna is for some reason being played out, okay, let's see if I can make it a little more rajasic. Can I at least make it, if nothing else, ego activating, but at least energy moves and something can happen from that energy. And it just allows us, most importantly, never to judge anybody. Because all our problems come from this idea that everyone is them. They're trapped in that skin behind those bones is that person. And that person decides to chooses to use these actions, these words, these thoughts, and they're all directed at me. And that identity crisis gets further and further enmeshed and we get even tighter and tighter under our skin rather than freer and freer and freer to finally say, oh, wait a minute, this whole world is just the gunas. That's why Krishna just talks about the gunas so often. He wants us to realize that the gunas are his device of how to keep all of creation in existence. And so it's very important for us to start tuning into this vibration of the gunas. Not so much to say who has what guna in that 
is to say, what gunas are coming towards me? And why would they come towards me? If I don't have a vibrational resonance to that guna. Ah, tamas is coming into my life, then I must have tamas. And if I'm expressing tamas, alright, now where do I go from there? And it just allows us, because we're never going to be able to get to a space where like, oh, I'm just because what does he say in the next thing? And he who perceives that the unmoving consciousness, which is higher than the gunas, enters my being. So he wants us to go transcend the gunas. He's not even saying get to sattva. But of course, we first need to get to sattva because you're not going to be able to transcend the gunas from tamas. You're not going to be able to transcend the gunas from rajas. You can potentially transcend the gunas from sattva. Let's continue and see what else he says. Having transcended the three qualities of nature, which are the cause of physical embodiment. So he's calling the gunas as the very cause of physical embodiment. The thing that binds the ego to the body or the soul to the egoic identity are the gunas. It's not the physical body we need to be breaking our identity with because that's I mean, not only is that potentially impossible in this moment, that's also not needed because the masters don't say, I'm not this body and you know, they're not like constantly trying to break away from the body. They're just using the body as you would use a fork to eat, you know, your meal. But we don't get, ah, look at this fork, it's such a beautiful fork and what a lovely fork, oh, butcher, butcher, you know, we don't get obsessed with the fork, do we? We just eat our meal with the fork and so the masters use the body as they need to use. They're not obsessed with it. But that's because they're not identified with the gunas expressing through the body. And that's where our separation, egoic separation can come from. So having transcended the three qualities of nature, which are the cause of physical embodiment, one is released from suffering, from birth, old age, death, and attains immortality. Which means, once you're not in the gunas, there is no more cyclical change in your lives then you can maintain that singular bliss of your being. The reason we cannot maintain the singular bliss of our being, the reason we are constantly changing as Krishna is elucidating through the fact of birth, old age, death. And that's happening through us all the time. Ideas are being born within us, ideas are, being dying, di are dying within us. Inspirations come, inspirations go. One day I'm happy, one day I'm sad. Today I like this person, tomorrow I don't like this person, and so on and so forth. The variations of our own mind are infinite. But in order to maintain what we're looking for, that absolute fulfillment, those variations have to be stilled. And they will only be stilled by transcending the gunas, not through the gunas. Arjuna said, What are the signs, what signs distinguish one who has transcended the three gunas? What is his behavior? In what way does he reveal his transcendence? Arjuna is always amazing, asking us just the right questions, or asking Krishna on our behalf. And the Blessed Lord said, O Pandava Arjuna, he neither likes nor longs for any manifestation of the gunas, whether illumination, which is upliftment, or unceasing activity, or dull ignorance. He neither likes nor longs for any manifestation of the gunas. 
Now again, this is like when you tell somebody this thing, they'll be like, "Usme kya maza? You know, what's the point of living now? You're just you're like a robot or something where you have no feeling. You have you're not active. You're not interested in activity. You're not even interested in being uplifted. And of course, you're definitely not interested in being in ignorance. But that is why the gunas are such a important thing because it's very hard for us to comprehend this until and unless the majority of our being is in sattva. So our intention from here is not we need to get to this transcendence right now. Our intention should be I need to take every tendency in me, every thought in me, every word I speak, every action I perform and I need to lift them all the way to sattva one by one. First I'm going to get what are my tamasic tendencies and I'm going to lift them to rajas. When those are my rajasic tendency, I'm going to lift to sattva. and so on and so forth when the majority of us are established in sattva when the majority of your being vibrates in that happiness healthy harmonious pure state of being then you can tune into transcendence and say ah, that's what i'm looking for right now for us transcendence is a very vague term for us if i were to pretend to be transcendent i wouldn't even know transcendence for me could become being too aloof being too indifferent getting too complacent i just don't know how to i'm unable to transcend because you cannot go from tamas or rajas to transcendence you can go from sattva to transcendence so that's a very important for us don't kind of create a bookish understanding of ah oh, krishna wants me to transcend all gunas so that means now i need to neither seek illumination neither seek of course you need to seek illumination if you don't seek illumination you seek nothing you'll put out no energy to go beyond these gunas so for some of us we need the gunas to continue moving us forward but when we reach the pinnacle of the gunas that's when we can offer ourselves unconcerned either way unshaken and viewing all the gunas as active throughout the universe he ever he remains ever centered calmly in the self just yesterday we were listening to a um a satsang by nayaswami jaya and he told a story which we ne- i had not heard before this was a story early on in the really really early on in ananda village is the first year i believe they were all uh, in the meditation retreat and you know they just ended the day they were all having dinner together and swami comes and he joins them uh and then suddenly one guy comes running and you know he's like come quick you know there's a cabin and it's on fire and so everybody rushes and he says and swami also rushes to where the cabin is and there it is and the cabin's like completely on fire there's no way they could put the flames out they don't have water they don't have anything you know it's like a rural barren community's just started and so they say okay let's create what's called like a um, i don't know what the right word is like a fire wall of sorts which is you'd essentially all the brush around you'd you know take it all out so that the fire can't um, spread so because it'll get from one brush to another brush to another brush and it just starts spreading so you create like a fire i can't remember the word for it but you get my meaning right <laughs> you just you take away all that so everybody gets into it they get their tools and everybody is at it swami ji himself including swami ji as jaya was saying and he says and one guy the spiritual guy he decided he's going to sit cross legged and chant om <laughs> and here he's like, om om because this is how we think i have to be in sattva guna om and swami looks at the guy he's like What, what are you doing? 
come join us and help us in this. And what Jaya said is like, while others were like, fire, 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 ka, ka, pa, 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 pa. Swami was doing exactly what everybody was doing, but Jaya said, when I looked at Swami, he was so centered. There was no fear, there was no restlessness, there was no confusion, he knew exactly what he needed to do. And that's the transcendence of the gunas. Not sitting and chanting Om. Transcendence of the gunas is, I am completely centered in myself. And then from that centeredness, I act appropriately in each situation. So that's an important realization for us to have because we think sattva mein ghusna hai to bhai sattva matlab bad jao, aankh band karlo. That's not sattva at all because the mind's not quiet, your heart's not quiet. So what sattva are you thinking to? You might as well take that energy and put it into something that's more uplifting in certain cases. So be very appropriate and try to find more than anything else. How do I center myself? Unaffected personally by joy or sorrow, praise or blame, appraising equally a clod of earth, a stone and gold. He doesn't distinguish among others according to whether they treat him well or badly. <laughs> These are tough things to do, even though they may sound like, yeah, I, I think I've transcended the gunas because sometimes I don't care how people think of me, but that's a very wrong way to tune into it. It's not like he doesn't care. That's the difference here, is that he can love them so much that he'll be completely unaffected no matter how they treat him. In fact, when I put into, if I have to give a sentence for each of what the gunas is, the sattva guna is, I am happy. It's the sattvic state, I'm happy, I'm content. The raja guna is, I want, or I don't want, either way. And the tamas guna is, I don't care. And that's a very different reality, because the happy person also, you can say, doesn't care. But he doesn't care because he's content, because there's love in his heart and there's joy in his being. But the tamasic person doesn't care because he's indifferent to anybody but himself. And so that's the flow we need to tune into. And that's why the gunas are such a beautiful way for us to just assess ourselves impersonally. Because it has nothing to do with you, you see. It has to do with the gunas. Yes, you've been expressing this guna again and again and therefore you've really identified yourself with that guna. But it's still just the guna. Let go of the identity and it's still just the guna. It doesn't change your true nature. Uninfluenced by honor or dishonor, equally gracious toward friend and foe, free from any motivation of personal ambition, these signs accompany one who has transcended the three qualities of nature. Again, not an easy thing for us to tune into, especially that last one, free from any motivation of personal ambition. For the majority of us, if we draw personal ambition, boom, we're in tamas immediately. We wouldn't know how to draw personal ambition because we don't have that vibration. Personal ambition can only be dropped. Think about a king, owns a kingdom, 
now he wants to own the next kingdom and he wants to own the next kingdom and he wants to own the next kingdom until he's conquered the entire world then he can set himself and say I need nothing else we've not conquered anything yet so for us personal ambition helps to continue to conquer but when you've become the universe only then you can say I don't need anything else when you've conquered the vastness of infinity then you can say I don't need anything else to say that before again is just confusion is just delusion so you have to be very mindful because the spiritual path can be very tricky and we tend to look at this a spiritual saint and we say and then I you know make my face and I make my clothes and I make my look and I say I am now spiritual but you're not because the gunas are still active in you jitna you want to hide it you try jitna you want to polish a different side of you you try but the gunas they don't fool anybody and they have no personal interest in you they express themselves as the vibration exists not as as you think they ought to and so it's again just a beautiful way to assess yourself and to lift yourself up from wherever you are he who serves me with undeviating love and devotion transcends the gunas and is qualified to become one with brahman krishna always ends almost every chapter you'll see he'll give you this amazing philosophy he'll tell you he'll paint the entire universe before you but how does he end every chapter every chapter he'll end with but if you can just love me if you can he who serves me with undeviating love and devotion transcends the gunas but i give you the whole philosophy i give you all these formulas i give you all these mathematical equations but i also give you this other option and again and again we hear krishna saying love me serve me i am the most amazing the bestest thing in the universe i am all there is but for us it's very important to put krishna into the right context who is krishna apart from yes he was an avatar and he's you know the infinite consciousness granted all that is true but what is the context of krishna in the gita krishna is arjuna's guru that's how you tune into the gita so when i read these words anywhere in the in the gita where krishna says me i hear he who serves his guru because that's who krishna is representing in the gita all our scriptures are conversations and what are the conversations between a guru and a disciple whether he's shiva and parvati whether he's ganesh and vyas whether he's krishna and arjuna so we need to take that form that we have gotten a little absorbed with that we've painted a whole other world around and we have to see the principle that they're espousing the principle here is that the guru krishna is arjuna's guru and therefore he says to him arjuna if you serve me with undeviating love and devotion you will transcend the gunas and you will be qualified to become one with brahman 
so rather than getting all caught up and saying konsa guna hai and you know moving like an abacus today i moved satwa to this and now ye yahan raj se tamas chala gaya and get completely mad in the process because it is a maddening process you have far too many tendencies far too many thoughts we have far too many things to be worrying about which guna and how will i move it where therefore a simpler way not because it's a shortcut because it takes everything that krishna has said into account but directs it in a singular focused manner a simpler way serve your guru with undeviating love and devotion and you will transcend the gunas and he ends with the last and final verse of this chapter for i am the basis of everything there is the imperishable brahman in whom reside the eternal law and unending bliss and again this is not krishna this is your guru this is who he is he is your individual version of brahman he is your universal eternal law and he is your unending bliss and if that's what you are seeking seek it in him seek it through him that then he takes you beyond the gunas and then he'll take you beyond him because his intention is not to hold you to a form just as krishna's intention is not to hold arjuna to a form krishna's intention is to offer arjuna into brahman into infinity but krishna acts as the window as the doorway as the channel into infinity and we all need a doorway to walk through because otherwise we keep bumping into the walls that's Very it good. transcending the gunas wow what a chapter yeah <laughs> a lot of home study to do <laughs> <laughs> swami ji swami kriyananda says here something beautiful and quite powerful he says if we act in a certain way we will attract the guna belonging to that particular kind of activity wow so in whatever way we act and it's not about the activity activity but the consciousness with which we do and perform that activity that's the kind of guna that will come towards us and the kind of guna that will be manifested through us through that activity and i was thinking now about service i mean service to the guru is that vehicle that helps us to remind ourselves like if nothing else if i have done a mess throughout this day by the kind of bad actions i have done let me at least use the seva the service to my guru to bring out of me some sort of sadvik consciousness some sort of doing this uh, for my guru performing this activity this activity because it has nothing to do with me it's not for what i'm going to gain but all about what can i offer of myself unconditionally selflessly 
And this is what I would like for each one of us to practice this week as a vehicle of inviting the Guru to bring out from us the consciousness of sattvic consciousness through our service. So perhaps this week you want to make sure that every day, absolutely every day for the next seven days, you set aside a time where you will be dedicating just one hour or half an hour, let's say minimum half an hour, dedicated to serve the mission of your guru. And it has nothing to do with your meditation. It has nothing to do with doing something that you like. It has nothing to do with doing something that only when you feel like it. I mean, this is something that we are going to commit ourselves for a week. We need to start experimenting what it means to serve the guru daily with the only purpose of allowing him to bring out the sattvic consciousness within us. Because throughout the day, you know, we're responsibilities, you know, when we are working in our office, we don't even think, you know, we, we, we don't pay attention about the consciousness that we are bringing. But the moment we know we are doing this for our guru, our consciousness suddenly shifts. I mean, that's the magic of serving your guru's mission. It just puts you automatically, effortlessly, in a different frame of mind. Are you missing this on a daily basis? If you are, do something about it. Because you will be missing a very important aspect of your spiritual progress. This is what makes us different from a regular devotee. This is what makes us disciples. Our service to our Guru. So think how you are going to integrate your daily seva to your Guru. If you don't have a guru, perhaps look for those organizations, those causes that really, really inspire you and ask, call them, how can I help? What do you have, like, you know, lay off for the next seven days? How can I participate daily? Can I make phone calls? Can I help you with something? Can I help you organize something else? Can I send some emails? Whatever that might be. Serve your guru as a vehicle to keep bringing out from you that consciousness of sattvic consciousness. So think about it. And if you don't know how to serve, I would say, you know, ask to a guru bai of yours who are serving constantly and ask him, ask her, what do you need? Is there anything? else that I can add, that I can be helpful with. Give me something to do. Don't even choose yourself. What do you want to do? You know, call your mentor, your, the person that you respect, that you trust, who is fully involved 
in your guru's mission, give me something for the next seven days because I want to experiment this. You know, call them, ask them. And for the next seven days, that half an hour, that hour every day is going to be really your way perhaps of salvation. You know, you, we never know if we don't open ourselves to become that kind of channels, we will never know. So think about it. And if you feel inspired to give it a try uh, from this very evening, make that phone call, send that message, ask anyone that you think can give you, you know, some ideas how you can serve and see what happens in seven days from today.